Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Welcome back to Seriously. We've been looking through the emails and we've had two requests for recommendations from us this week in a sort of reversal of our usual email format. We've had a lovely email from Ashley who got in touch because he enjoyed the female friendship week we did a few weeks ago. But he said, as a man with a female best friend, I would love to know your feelings on male-female friendships and if any cultural depictions are actually representative. I can't think of a single depiction in culture which reminds me of a natural relationship between a man and a woman which seems real, which isn't the gay best friend. I've thought about this and all the examples I can think up, I think, tend to fall into that gay best friend area. Yeah, same. I mean, we were just thinking, so like um, Titus and Kimmy in The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, I think is a really nice depiction of Mm -hmm. a woman and her male friend who is gay. Yeah, so we also thought of Alana and her roommate from Broad City, Hannah and Elijah from Girls, which actually fails at desexualizing their relationship and he's her gay best friend. So it's kind of like the worst of both worlds. Yeah. So I yeah, I really struggled with this. Did you think of any that you liked? Well, I thought of one, but it's far from perfect and the show it's in is not very good, so I don't feel like it's a great recommendation, <laughs> which is I quite like and I'm interested by the relationship between Sheldon and Penny in The Big Bang Theory. Although that doesn't quite work, I think, for this in the sense that she is a sort of sexual character and that she's the girlfriend of another character, not Mm. Sheldon's girlfriend. Their friendship is nice and they talk about stuff that doesn't get talked about anywhere else in that show. I hate the Big Bang Theory with my life. So do I. But that is a good element of an otherwise terrible show, I guess. So yeah, do let us know if you have any thoughts on this because I'd actually be really interested. Because obviously the first thing I thought about was like, oh, when Harry met Sally. But obviously the whole point of that film is that... Men and women can't be friends. Exactly. Yeah, or the other thing is, I suppose, friends... But then the writers kind of polluted all potential for successful Mm. men-women friendships in that by constantly like upgrading them to potential romantic relationships and then downgrading them when they didn't play well with viewers. Definitely. We'd like some more suggestions, so do get in touch. Seriouslypod at gmail.com or Twitter and Facebook if you have any better thoughts than us on this. We've had another request for recommendations from Rachel, who says, I'm another enthusiastic American fan of Seriously. Besides being funny and smart, it gives me lovely, warm, fuzzy flashbacks to my study abroad in East Anglia and being steeped in sometimes puzzling British popular culture. Do you have any recommendations for things specifically set in East Anglia for further nostalgia stoking? Is East Anglian themed media a thing? Niche. 
niche, <laughs> but a niche with some things in it. Yeah, well, we were surprised actually when we started thinking about this that there are like a few, right? Yeah, so first, obviously, Detectorists. Yeah, Detectorists, which is, I believe, set in northern Essex, but filmed in Suffolk, which is in East Anglia. And, East yeah. a- and northern Essex is very near East Anglia. Yes, exactly. It's in that bulgy bit on the side of the country, which is East Anglia, right? So yeah, obviously, watch Detectorists. There's a Stephen Fry programme that is repeated a lot on ITV, ITV3 or something called Kingdom. This is a classic Caroline recommendation. It, in which he plays, it's from like 2005, something around that time, mm. and he plays like a solicitor in a small Norfolk seaside town. Okay, that's, so that's a good one. And there's lots and lots of shots of fields and stuff. I believe the opening credits have a very nice montage of East Anglia, <laughs> so you might like that. And then, of course, Alan Partridge. Yeah, famously Norfolk based. Famously Norfolk, East Anglian based. If you're American, I feel like you might not know what, who Alan Partridge is. In a nutshell, it's a character played by Steve Coogan that has appeared in a lot of different shows. Knowing me, knowing you, I'm Alan Partridge. It was in some of the day-to-day, like, it's a character he's been doing for like 20 years and I think he mm. hates it now. But anyone else with any more East Anglian-themed programmes? Yeah, I feel like we've probably missed something really obvious, so please do correct yeah. us. Get in touch. Moving on to the first thing we're going to talk about this week. The Hollow Crown, colon, The Wars of the Roses, is a BBC series of Shakespeare adaptations. Following on from 2012's adaptation of The Henriad, the series sees Shakespeare's first tetralogy, which is Henry VI, Part 1, 2 and 3, and Richard III, dramatised in sequence over three episodes. It stars every British actor going, including Benedict Cumberbatch, Sophie Okonedo, Hugh Bonneville, Sally Hawkins and Tom Sturridge. I do but dream on sovereignty. Like one that stands upon a promontory and spies a far-off shore. So do I wish for the crown. Hark what discord follows. I am the queen! It's a kind of panoply of, yeah, everyone who went to Rada, basically. Yeah. So the episode aired on Saturday. It's an hour and 50 minutes. And from what I could tell, it's part one and part two of Henry VI. Yeah. It's a little bit confusing if you are familiar with the plays to work out exactly where you are because they've they've sort of mashed them up a little bit. They've cut lots of bits. Mm -hmm. And as you say, they have stitched together plays, which if you saw them in the theatre would be separate plays. Although you do sometimes see them. I saw the Henry the Fourth plays at the Globe a few years ago and they had combined it was like one very long day in the afternoon I saw Henry the Fourth parts one and two and then in the evening part three God, which, that's a lot. which was a long day but they made a lot of cuts in part one and two in order to make them like one two and a half right. hour play basically okay, cool. so, which is basically what they've done with this yeah not dissimilar it's, it's yeah it's not quite two hours and I feel like it was dead halfway through that one play finished and another mm. play started so I think they did pretty well there if anyone's unfamiliar with these plays like I these are not the history plays are never my favorite Shakespeare plays I sort of avoided them quite a lot when I studied Shakespeare at school and at university but I would like sort of hesitantly say that the lead character in this is not Henry VI but Gloucester would you agree yeah I'd agree with that so in the in the first two plays Gloucester is basically Henry VI like first-hand man he's the protector because Henry VI came to the throne so young he needed uh, someone to sort of make actual monarchical decisions <laughs> and he is like very very loyal and that's basically his entire character is like loyal to the king till the end marvelously played in this by 
Hugh Bonneville, which is just like <laughs> the perfect casting. It's fantastic. Because you've got a lot of actors in this who are really eminent Shakespeareans. People yeah. like Judy Dench and Anton Lesser and people like that. Mm-hmm. Hugh Bonneville, for all that I think he's a very talented actor, is not an eminent Shakespearean. <laughs> you know, he is best known for Lord Grantham in Downton Abbey and the guy from 2012 slash W1A. Yeah. Right? Oh, and being in the Paddington film. Yeah. He is a light comic actor who can sometimes cry. Yes, I think that's a good description. I also, my favourite thing about Hugh Bonneville is that he's like earnestness personified. Yeah. Yeah. Like he is not capable of playing a character that, for example, might have to lie or you know, do anything that involves more than one facial expression at a yep. time. Definitely. Like he can only do one thing, like look shocked or look hurt or look indignant. And that's perfect for this character because the character the whole time is just like, me, betray my king. Never. Never. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he does that a lot. And he's really good at looking very intensely at props as well (laughs) he really invests in that so like there's a great bit right at the very start when you know henry v has just died he's died young he's been a great king he's led great england to great victories at agincourt and stuff very patriotic head shaking territory yeah exactly you know his coffin is all flag draped in a chapel in westminster (laughs) abbey and the the crown the crown of the title is uh resting on top and uh, it's hugh bonneville's job to pick it up and walk out of the chapel into another one and then put it on a cushion yeah and he's got some like stirring shakespeare to say while he's doing this but he's just so invested in holding that bit of plastic or whatever it is <laughs> that you really believe it it's great my other favorite hugh bonneville moments in this are another bit right at the beginning where prince henry is going mm. to be crowned but they sort of skirt around the, sh- the lines in shakespeare that imply that he's too young to be a proper king hugh bonneville like goes into a room where the prince is and like you turn around and there's like a woman holding a tiny baby and hugh bonneville like turns shockedly and looks at the baby and just goes your majesty <laughs> Like, from the beginning, when Henry VI is a baby, he's still just like, I love you, king. I'll do anything for you, sir. Uh, Yeah, it's brilliant. The history behind this is really complicated Mm. and really difficult to understand. It's not really a period that we massively study in school. Well, I did it, it like, early secondary school and primary school because there were a few battles around where I live from the Wars Uh, of the Roses. So it was a bit like we would dress up and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, I never did that. It went on for like a hundred years. It was two aristocratic factions descended from the same like Plantagenet ultimate progenitor um, fighting over who had the better claim to the throne slash who had the biggest army slash the most money. Lots and lots of people died unnecessarily. But the important point is one had the emblem of the white rose and one of the red rose, York and Lancaster. And that is really what this is about. But everyone in it has a name of a place. Yeah, it's a bit complicated. And also in this adaption, they've tried to simplify it by like merging Mm. quite a few different characters so Suffolk and Somerset although there are there is someone called Somerset and someone called Suffolk in this they're basically merged characters but they sort of quite hammily explain stuff to you there's a great scene with the roses in the quad of Gloucester Cathedral which is Mm. again near where I'm from Uh, and it's also 
the Transfiguration Courtyard in Harry Potter, so you will recognise it. Oh yes, it. So I didn't realise, but yes it is, yes. yeah. So there's a scene there where they've put like a big big rose bush right in the centre yes, of the Transfiguration of Courtyard. And then one by one they like pick off a red rose and a white rose and like choose their sides. And they like have a big useful family tree on, on screen at several shots. So mm-hmm. they, I think they do a fairly good job of being like, this was the basic argument between these people. They don't go for like long swathes of explanatory Shakespeare speeches. No, that instead is good. they just sort of visually do it. That is good, which is I guess you can do on TV that you can't do on stage. So yeah. that's that's a good use of the medium. Generally I thought the sort of televisual slash cinematic aspects of this were really good. Mm. Like the very opening shot where it's like a helicopter shot over the white cliffs of Dover zooming in to like a man galloping on a horse along a cliff. <laughs> and then at one point doesn't he like jump a fence and there's a rose bush. Yeah. That to the fence and stuff it's all really really hammy which i think is perfect i would have been so disappointed if this had been a very very worthy Mm. production but instead they really just ramp up the drama like for example they really hammed up the battle scenes by cutting between the two different speeches so you get Mm. joan of arc's speech and you get like the english battle leader's speech cut between each other so you get that more like cinematic Mm. style of suspense building but also just all the performances are just really really hamming up the drama sally hawkins as gloucester's wife is like really sort of crazed and really over ambitious and i thought tom sturridge did an excellent naivety in his henry the sixth he's just like all the time like sort of doing a little boyish giggle and looking around for mm. help and that sort of that character develops quite well the only actor really doing a sort of more subtle performance i thought was sophie akinado who was really, yes. really good that is interesting because margaret of anjou is a very difficult character mm. i think um, and one that you can ham up. You to really can ham, ham up. You can make her seem a kind of bloodthirsty, distrustful wastrel or whatever. But you you can also, and I think she's done this much better, you can also portray her as a kind of reluctant female Machiavelli. She's thrust into having to make decisions kind of beyond her purview because her husband is young and then also not interested in being king and it's implied like a bit mad they do quite well in in keeping the camera on her off dialogue Mm. in a way that they probably didn't need to in terms of they had to cut so much for this and i think it just fills out that performance a little bit and stops it from becoming like oh yep evil sex driven woman yeah i think that's really good and she's obviously a great actress if you haven't been watching undercover then you should be Um, one thing i wanted to mention though is because obviously these the history plays are just like full of men because the history is full of men other than like margaret and a couple of other characters i think i'm hoping in the in the second episode we're going to get more of elizabeth of york yeah um, edward the fourth's wife she's really yeah, interesting we've just sort of seen her they did quite well in they they took a york soliloquy and mm. cut it up between him and his wife so that they were having a conversation which obviously feels much more natural for tv so writing for the NS a couple of years ago, Helen Lewis said a really interesting thing in a review of three Shakespeare plays that were on in London at the same time. She said, this new golden age of Shakespeare is also a golden age of 30-something and early 40-something actors doing a hero alongside their more commercial work in a kind of mid-career seriousness test. Because we've had David Tennant and Benedict Cumberbatch doing Hamlet and we've had Martin Freeman doing Richard whoever. Richard and... Third, um, Jude Law did Henry V, yeah. Tom Hiddleston did Coriolanus, there's just a constant conveyor belt of as she says actors in a kind of mid-career who've, and they're all posh they're all really posh who've got another 
more commercial line to their work. I, like they're in the Avengers, they're in Sherlock, they're in yeah. What did you think of Cumberbatch's Richard the Third? Well, I feel like we barely saw him in this. Well, episode. he's not really in the in the first one. Yeah. I guess he's going to be in it way more by the end because the the third episode I think is entirely Richard the Third. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll reserve judgment because I don't want to be like, yeah, I thought it was Shanks. I hate Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, I'm interested to see what he does with the kind of stereotypical Richard the Third mm. attributes. Hashtag problematic. Yeah. Well, Shakespeare is credited with a lot of the <laughs> the like making Richard evil stuff. <laughs> isn't he down history mm. and i think lots of actors have made different decisions about how they portray that my personal favorite is kevin spacey it, when he played richard at the old vic a few years ago wore a kind of victorian brace exoskeleton thing that was like all up his legs and up his back mm. and was it set in that sort of period of victorian not really all oh, right just <laughs> just went for it just went for it and made a very kind of extravagant show of the fact that he couldn't really walk mm. and even at one point like fell face forward onto the stage from standing height and then delivered one of the really famous speeches like without even being able to move his head properly which was you know a really impressive it, did, feat of physical acting did it feel more sympathetic or less more, more i thought okay more because and i actually quite liked that as a motivation because he because he he made the physical difficulties of being disabled at that time so apparent mm. that you could sort of I felt like I understood more than ever why Richard was so angry. Well, I felt before I started watching this that it was going to be a real slog and I was a bit like, great, Anna, like, better read up on the history plays. And, like, I opened the, w- the Wikipedia page and it was like, Henry VI Part One is considered the worst of Shakespeare's <laughs> plays. And I was like, great, really up for this ride. And then I loved it and I'm actually really keen both to watch the rest of this series and to go back and watch the first one because I never saw that. So mm. I think it's, yeah, definitely worth the watch. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now we're going to talk about a podcast 
Not By Accident is a documentary series produced by Sophie Harper, telling the story of her decision to have a baby by herself via IVF, and then her life as a single parent living in Denmark. It's released in fortnightly instalments, and there have been three out so far. I'm 42, and my little girl, Astrid, will be three in a couple of weeks. The day after my 38th birthday, I called a clinic and booked myself in for an appointment to talk about choosing a donor and getting pregnant. I was single and 38 was my cutoff in my own mind. I knew if I didn't do it then, it would be too late. She's an interesting presence. She sort of speaks very softly. Her delivery is very quiet. I find it quite mesmerising. She hasn't got loads of peaks and troughs in her voice. Like, Mm. it's fairly monotone. But then quite quickly, because it's got all this soothing music in the background and stuff as well, you do become quite, like, hooked. I think it totally makes sense when you realise that she, her sort of main job is she's a documentary filmmaker Mm -hmm. and she also teaches film. Mm that it's such a textured, layered experience in a way that you don't necessarily normally get with a podcast. Most podcasts are like this, us sitting in a room, talking into microphones, doing minimal... Occasionally doing a clip. (laughs) Yeah, doing minimal sort of like effects on it, Mm. basically. But hers is, there's lots of original music on it. She recorded all the major events. Almost everything. Almost everything. It's obviously just a sort of compulsion with her. Even when the audio isn't great quality, she uses it like in the background for atmosphere. Yeah, she'll like start speaking over it like, oh, it's loud in this camera. Cafe. But I was telling Natasha, no, 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 no. Yeah. and you get yeah a real sort of textured sense of her world and her life. And at it the really time. transports you. It's really good. And as I say, very unusual for like a free podcast mm-hmm. on the internet. Some of the storytelling I find quite deliberately obtuse. Yeah, she does. She sort of starts with her insemination, and then she goes way back in the next episode to how she decided to make that decision, and like she hops around in time quite a lot, so that sometimes you're quite confused about certain elements of her life. Yeah. Yeah, so it is a podcast that, I th- and I think she says this at the beginning of the second or third one, she said, if you're just finding this, I really recommend you go back and listen to the first one. Mm. And that's what I would highly recommend this to listeners. It is really good. The episodes are very tightly edited and short. They're like 15, 20 minutes max. Mm-hmm. But you, you really need to start at the beginning. So yeah. maybe think of it almost like a kind of serialised audiobook. It sort of unfolds in a non-linear but interesting way that way. So it's nice to stick to it. Yeah, and I think it's a a really interesting subject. I'm keen to know how far it's going to go, because in the kind of intro, she says, Not By Accident is a podcast about my decision to become a single mother and then how I coped with being one. Yeah, whereas we're sort of nowhere near birth yet, are we? We're still like in the first trimester of pregnancy, Mm -hmm. going back to a really harrowing bit about how um, leading up to her decision to do it, I think she was 38 when she got pregnant. In the years before that, like her mother had had a really horrific experience with cancer not long after she, Sophie herself, found out that she had melanoma and had Mm -hmm. to have surgery for it. And they basically just as a family, they'd been through a really, really horrible time. Yeah, and I think it was a sort of like, oh, actually need to live my life sort of Mm, moment yeah definitely sort of against the odds they both come through it and yeah she decides you've always wanted to do this so just really start doing it which is kind of sad but also inspiring I suppose yeah and I think it's really nice to hear about single motherhood from an older woman because Mm. I feel like single motherhood is something that you immediately associate with yes perhaps maybe accidental pregnancy or the guy ran off and I decided I was still going to keep it and it's something that seems to be like a a mid-twenties sort of thing it's also not something we ever think about as a choice I think whether it's yeah accidental pregnancy or um being 
a relationship breakup or being abandoned or whatever it's always you're a single parent in spite of what mm-hmm. you intended to happen not because in sophie's case she decided i want to do this and i want to do it by myself i want to do it by myself i'm also interested whether she's going to talk any more about the sort of political and legal context in which she's done this because mm-hmm. she's she lives in denmark which is a very progressive country when it comes to things like fertility and parental leave from yeah. jobs it's just generally a kind of high tax high welfare state so there's lots and lots of support so she did say sort of as an aside at one point didn't she where she she was like on the bus to get inseminated and she was like oh i felt thankful that i lived in a country with great fertility tourism you know there are lots of clinics they're all well funded they're all mm-hmm. safe there are lots and lots of donors and it also it's not exceptional it's all just a very normal part of society so she didn't have to kind of well, we haven't heard much about this yet, but you feel like she hasn't really had to tackle a lot of stigma or put in an enormous amount of effort to find the one clinic in the country that mm, does it. You yeah. Know? So this is kind of, you feel like, a story that probably couldn't happen everywhere. Mm-hmm, definitely. I'm not sure that, for instance, you'd be able to do it so easily in Britain, definitely not in America. Yeah. It's very interesting for that, and I hope she's going to go into that a bit more. I think yeah. she probably will once she gets to the point of like having to give up work for a bit and all that kind of thing. I'm also very interested to know how people are going to react to this podcast. I mean, I've seen it recommended lots of places. It's definitely getting some traction. Because mm, I think she's got a, a, a bit of a profile already, hasn't she? So I think yeah. people are aware of her. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I can't imagine it would be ne- anything negative because it's just such a lovely, A, listening experience and B, just like a really great story. Because mm. there's a, a, every point you just feel like, oh my God, yes, you are so lucky that your mother lived to see you have a child and you are so lucky that... You You've been able to do this and you are clearly going to be such a great mum because you want this so much all of that stuff it just feels overwhelmingly positive mm. to me yeah and I, I mean i know there are rules in america and i think in britain as well like when it comes to adopting for instance that you you are less likely to get allocated a child if you're a single parent mm. you know you're supposed to be like a stable couple owning a house etc etc To so i think yeah there is kind of an element to which her story is unusual but not because people don't want to do it yeah no i i I think it's really interesting so Mm. we'll see what the reaction is like So last week, I recommended that Caroline watch Cry Baby, a 1990 American teen musical romantic comedy spoof from the strange mind of John Waters. It follows good girl Allison, who falls for bad boy Wade, Cry Baby Walker, and joins their gang of juvenile delinquents. It's a place where the pleasures are simple. You want to ride home with Dad? We can count out a state license plates. Kids help their parents. He not only vacuums, he does windows. And squares get the girls. We'll get married and live in suburbia. Then came Crybaby Walker. Yeah, you're looking to rumble. You're looking at me Caroline, major thoughts? This film is amazing. Oh, I'm so glad you love it. I loved it so much and really want to watch it again immediately because I think I was so busy the first time being like, no, no, not again, not more, <laughs> that I definitely missed like more joy to be had from it. It's just so over the top that I think a first watch can be like utterly overwhelming. Yes, it was. I was so kind of 
right from the very beginning when the the kind of opening credits happen over this montage of everyone in the high school queuing up to get their polio vaccinations. Yeah, I love that scene. And I was so busy like laughing myself silly at like all of the contorted expressions they do when they get vaccinated that I didn't I don't think really picked up on all the like things he's seeding in there about the various different like high school gangs and stuff. Yeah, there's like a great bit where um my favorite of the delinquents Wanda gets her shot and she does this very sexual sort of shiver mm. and she, it's just it's all so completely overblown but really really funny and then just everything from like the cars and the leather jackets it feels a bit like Greece in some places yeah it's a bit of a mockery of Greece although yeah obviously it's taking the piss and it goes much much further as well Mm. but like the you know the car they've got's got flames all down the side and all that kind of thing so you feel like you're in familiar territory but then every so often John Waters just chucks something in to completely floor you like the fact that Johnny Depp is called Crybaby. <laughs> and he's got a tattoo of a teardrop on yeah. his face. What did you think of Johnny Depp in this? He looks so young. So young. So young. This so... is one of his first roles after being like a teen pin-up in mm. 21 Jump Street. And it was really like an opportunity for him to mock himself. And I think he was very like grateful for it at the time. Yeah, you can see that actually, that he is kind of undercutting the whole like matinee idol thing mm-hmm. in a way that is very pleasing and I think probably so his motivation and John Waters kind of align yeah, for this film definitely. which is definitely good um, yeah I found him ridiculous but in a really adorable way there's so many great lines in it and scenes but I love all oh, my teenage heart especially loved the scene where they're sort of drag racing on the streets like oh, before yeah. the big sort of uh, racing finale where they're like overtaking the good girl and her so Alison who's like you know part of some country club and her mum and her boyfriend are all in the car and then Johnny Depp and his like gang of crazy like rebellious teens swing by in their car with the flame on the side and they like sing to her <laughs> yes. from so they, they're driving on the wrong side of the road so that they can be parallel with her car and I love that scene because it is a it's like obviously a complete joke but at the same time it is quite like oh and Johnny Depp is still really handsome and <laughs> actually singing this song and it is cute but yeah did you like the music in it i did i really liked it i like how period appropriate it all was mm-hmm. it's all very like 50s rock and roll yeah it's really good and it but it also in that sort of grease like musical way yes i also found alison really funny <laughs> how she just doesn't ever break from her like really earnest desire to like do a bad thing the the Hugh Bonneville of the movie, yeah. perhaps. <laughs> yeah, she is. Like, there's that scene when she and Johnny Depp are making out on a picnic blanket. Yes, I love that scene where she's like, I'm not going to get mononucleosis, Emma. And yeah. she's like, no. <laughs> and then a tree gets struck by lightning. And then she says something really weird, like, um, he, and he says, like, are you scared? And she says, no, it's kind of sexy. <laughs> I also love her scene where she uh, like sobs in bed over Mm. um, her like heartbreak and she's like she cries into a jar and like collects all her tears in a jar labelled tears and then at the end of the song she drinks it. (laughs) (laughs) It makes you feel so weird but it's also such a great like image for that like girl drowning in her own misery like quite happily. Just generally the whole film is such a joyful experience and I'm kind of mad that I'd never even heard of it. Yeah it's I honestly I feel like evangelical about this film because it is so funny and like such a I think it would be a great watch if you like had all your girlfriends around Mm. and wanted to watch something silly like that but be warned you might accidentally get hooked on the soundtrack thinking that you were enjoying it in an ironic fashion and then find that oh no I'm I'm definitely just enjoying it like there's (laughs) there's no ironic about it I mean I 
an illustration of this is right at the very end. So, you know, closure is if you don't want to know what happens when they're doing the, the final showdown with the cars yeah. and the guys are like on top of the cars. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. And then um, <laughs> she gets on the back of the motorcycle and her skirt gets ripped away. So she looks extra sexy. Yeah. And then she like flies through the air for a really, <laughs> really long time. And obviously John Waters does this deliberately because he's a genius, but it like cuts to loads of different people's faces, just like really passively watching the yeah. sky for a really long time until you're just like, come on, what is happening? Is she still in the air? How is this going on? And at that point I was like, no, you're not feeling ironic about this at yeah. all. You're just really invested in this. Lots of great uh, random cameos as well from like Ricky Lake and Iggy Pop. Mm. And oh yeah, Iggy Pop's in it. Yeah, uh, it's just really, it's like a constant delight, I think. So do watch that. So, Caroline, can you match that? I don't think so. (laughs) I don't... Thank yourself, babe. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a very different type of film that I'm going to recommend you. It's called 20 Feet from Stardom. Okay. It came out, I think, two, three years ago. It's a documentary. It's not a... Oh, okay. Change of pace. Good. Change of pace. And it's... I found it really joyful, although it definitely has a kind of darker, sadder side. It's about backup singers. Oh, yeah. Um, So women who've sung backup for some of the biggest stars in the world, like the Rolling Stones and Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder and all these kind of people. They've toured with all of these people. They've lived the rock and roll lifestyle in a sense. They've made some amazing music, but they've never been the star. Mm. And a lot of them have had attempts to have solo careers or do other stuff, and it's just never quite taken off. And they've always ended up like standing at the back of the stage while Mick Jagger's jumping around in the front (laughs) and getting cheered, you know? So did this, Um, I feel like this got some award nominations a year or two ago. Yeah, I think it might have been nominated at the Oscars. Yeah, I I think I have heard about this. I'm not sure. But it's a really interesting film. There's also, I think I might, if you have time, recommend you, there's an episode of the Death, Sex and Money podcast which has an in-depth interview with one of the women in which she talks about how very little financially she benefited from decades of touring with a worldwide famous band. that's so bad. Which is really interesting. Cool. I can't wait. Definitely check that out. Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Seriously. All you have to do is search SRSLY in iTunes or any other podcasting app you use. While you're there, it would be really great if you could leave us an iTunes review as it helps other people find the show. We also rely on you listeners for your recommendations. So if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, via email. All the details are on seriouslypodcast.com. If you like, you can also recommend us to your friends, family, neighbours, strangers. Let them know that you like the podcast and that they should be listening to it too. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.